go. show we'll be looking at some guilty pleasure movies and it is my honor my pleasure my privilege to welcome the editor of geek Ireland and a woman who based on her recent globetrotting adventures is no stranger to a guilty pleasure herself it's olivia fahey olivia how are you today i'm good how are you man i am super fantastic what for you would constitute a guilty pleasure movie so for me and you'll probably laugh at this but a guilty pleasure movie for me is one that I don't want to tell anybody that I'm watching like if it's on the telly and like, someone comes in I'm changing the channel as fast <laughs> as I can I, like, I I will not be telling anyone that I'm watching this whereas like there's a comfort film which like I have no shame over so if I'm watching Pocahontas, Stardust, Thumbelina something just really kiddy, but I'm just like no it's my comfort film I'm watching it now shut up Whereas if it's something like one of the films on my list today, nah, I am denying, denying, denying. <laughs> well, guess that. Just actually before we started, I sent you a picture of my ticket from going to see that film as I was when I was a <laughs> yeah. child. And I just remember that was like one of the first films I remember, like because everything when you're young, everything is the best thing you've ever seen. And that was the first one I came out of kind of thinking, I, I don't think that was good. I don't think I enjoyed that. So reveal all, what is the first film on your list? Uh, I can just, I can feel your listeners' hate already coming for me with this one. My first guilty pleasure film is Batman and Robin, <laughs> Justice for the Bat Nipples. <laughs> well, you kind of got a bit of justice this year with him popping up at, uh, at the end of The Flash. So I know! A, a few people seem to agree with you. I also like the fact that he just flat out refused to shave his beard. Like, you know, <laughs> if you had the, the, the cape and the cowl on, I'm like, well, that's clearly Bruce Wayne. I like how he cared to come back, but not enough that I'm not changing myself in any way, shape, or form for this character. Well, who knows? Maybe he'd been doing a bit of a, a Keaton's Batman and become a recluse, and he's kind of like, I'm retired now in this universe, because, of course, it's all, you know, all over the gaff now. Yeah, he's too busy being amped up on Nespresso now. <laughs> I, I will say I have had a kind of a, a revisionist on Batman and Robin I do quite like it and I, the, the weird thing is I think there is a good film in there as well I think the relationship with between um, Bruce Wayne and Alfred is really really well done in this there's a great moment in the film where, where Alfred's after getting sick and George Clooney comes and he's like did you ever regret you know basically wasting your life to work with us and there's just a lovely moment with that where it kind of gets to the heart of their relationship. And I think that's one of the good things in that film. There's a million bad things in that film. Nipples <laughs> being being the least of them, you know, the characterization of Bane, Poison Ivy. But it is, that to me is the epitome of a guilty pleasure movie. So I will, I, I think I will see it to you on that one and give you that. I honestly, I saw it as a kid and even then I knew it wasn't a good film. But I could not stop watching it over and over and over again. It, there's just something so wonderfully camp about it. And I loved the the Adam West uh, series as well. So I think that's why I've had that kind of relationship with the film over the years is because I'm like, no, no, like if you're just looking for something that's comic comic but stupid, <laughs> you know, like this is the film to watch. It is not to be taken seriously in any way, shape, or form. I love how, um, especially I love how Bruce Wayne says, no, he doesn't say it. George Clooney says mm. that he thought that he had ruined the franchise forever. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you nearly did. But we did a big, massive rewatch of all the Batman movies um, just before the Batman came out with uh, Battenson. And um, 
literally I was like hang on a minute and I zoomed in on the the Val Kilmer Batman and guess what his suit also has bat nipples so I don't know why everybody was giving out about the the ones on George Clooney's suit because it was on the one previously as well I'm more concerned that you're zooming in on nipples when is this just a Batman thing or is this every time you're doing this one no just just the Batman one but it was only because (laughs) I clocked it so I was like hang on a minute are those bat nipples and they were moving swiftly along I think it's very justifiable (laughs) Let us know in the comments what you think about <laughs> zooming in on bat nipples. <laughs> I'd love for someone who have only have seen Batman and Robin and the Batman and just see, like, how did we go from this to that? I, I, it's same with The Fast and the Furious. I'd love someone to watch the first film and then watch the last film and go, how did we go from DVD players to space and clones? Do you know, I still haven't seen the first Fast and Furious film. You really should, if you've seen any of the rest of them, because you're just looking at going, is this everything? Like, it's it, literally, they are stealing DVD players, the whole crux of the plot is like you know there's all these it's sony or panasonic you know massive dvd players that they're robbing and now they're you know superstar agents traveling the world on rocket ships and working for kurt russell yes and actually speaking of kurt russell the first film on my list is big trouble in little china oh classic that's really you have some weird gaps in your eyes. So I wasn't sure if you've actually have seen this. No, I have. Yeah. And, and yes, thanks for outing me for having weird gaps in my <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> like, I have, I have a great memory for a lot of things. And then certain things, I'm just like, no, nah, what? What are we talking about? This to me is just, you, you couldn't get away with it now in the sense that Kurt Russell isn't the hero in this film. Like, like everything else, like, it's kind of the sidekick does everything. He is just an unstoppable moron who somehow... He's like a cartoon or Kool-Aid man, just like smashing through walls and somehow everything works out because the people around him are actually doing it. It's just absolutely bonkers crack. And then you, you think like it was offered to Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson initially, like that would have been a, a very, very different film. But just the dialogue in this and just how ridiculous it gets, like, you know, basically Raiden shows up to to attack them in an alleyway. And again, I can't let this go without mentioning my, my Kurt Russell story that Walt Disney's dying <laughs> words on his deathbed were Kurt Russell. And he has no idea why he said that. <laughs> like, I'd love for it to be a case of that, like, he wanted Kurt Russell to take over the franchise, you know, but maybe not. Kurt Russell just takes over Disney. That's it. Yeah. It's basically the Wonka's <laughs> chocolate factory. Like, the man should be a multi billionaire now. Well, he's, you know, living with Goldie Hawn the last 30 years. He hasn't exactly had it rough, has he? No, I just know what they're one of my favorite like Hollywood couples as well. And now that Hugh Jackman and Deborah Lee are no more, I'm kind of like, for the love of God, Kurt and Goldie need to stay together. <laughs> I think that would be the one celebrity relationship where I go, yeah, no, I don't believe in love anymore. If that if they broke up, yeah, very true. Well, but yeah, for me, it's a case of I have I have I saw it first when I think I was probably far too young to have seen it and then I saw it again in my late teens early 20s and it is just bonkers like none of it really makes sense but it makes perfect sense at the same time if if I'm making any sense but what I thought was interesting is that wasn't there talk of like a remake and everyone kind of just went no yeah and there was kind of talk that maybe uh, it was the same with um, Escape from New York there was talk that um, Wyatt Russell's son was going to take over the franchise and if Wyatt Russell to his credit went absolutely not it's bad enough having to do that role without being his son in that no and like, I respected him an awful lot for saying that because I have the, the self-awareness to go no like my dad is far better at this than I am yeah and like when it is one of your dad's iconic roles as well 
whatever about one of the ones that like people didn't really pay attention to at the time but it's so synonymous with your father no you don't go anywhere near that and the way you were saying about being bonkers like if you if someone walked in on you watching this in the first 10 minutes and then walked in 15 minutes later they would not think this is the same film (laughs) exactly but when you're watching it you're like yeah i can see how they got from a to z ish (laughs) but Otherwise, if you'd like, yeah, no, like Seb wandering in and out while I'm watching TV, like sometimes he's like, is this even the same episode? I'm like, no, 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 like I'm three episodes ahead now. You were gone for 20 minutes. Whereas like for this film, if he just stepped out for five minutes and came back in, he'd be just like, hang on a minute. What did I miss? And actually just on that, you're you're teaming up nicely here. Speaking of weird tangents where you don't know where it's going to (laughs) go. And one of the films on your list here, the, the next one here, I had a, a boss that who was a, a complete and he was talking to me about films before and he's like, oh, look, I just, my type of film, I really like hard sci-fi films. I like, you know, 2001, I like Solaris, Inception. And then he mentioned this film. Now, before you tell us and reveal all what this is, just, if you're listening to this, Solaris, 2001, A Space Odyssey and Inception, what do you think would be the natural fourth film in that list? And now, Olivia, tell me what it is. Well, I'm assuming you're going through the list in the order that I sent it to you because I'm like, it could literally be any of the other three that I've sent you. Um, So, yeah, my my next one, Sliding Doors, which I'm a bit like, how does that fit in with that genre? It doesn't is the answer. 10 years ago, and I'd say at least once a week or any time that film is brought over, Gwyneth Paltrow, that conversation pops into my head. But I, I get, do you know what? It's a great film. It's well, it's not, but it's a great film to me. Like no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, man. <laughs> he is fantastic. It's, it's one of those ones where you're like this is like they would never work as a couple. And this was back when we thought Gwyneth Paltrow was still charming. Her accent is she's she's going for something there. But he is absolutely incredible in this. He is just so much fun, John Hannah, in this. You can kind of see he was having a, a bit of a moment then. He was in the, the Mummy films then for a while. And you mm. thought he's going to be the, the comic relief for the next 10 years. And then he just basically fell off a cliff. He did a lot of kind of TV dramas and hair restoration ads. He ended up in Spartacus, the series. And I think that whatever that contract was, he may have just been locked in with that. And because, of course, like they had so many delays and then doing like prequels and sequels and things like that so um i think although he was only in like the first two seasons of that so maybe i'm completely wrong but yeah no i absolutely i adore him in this film and you know what Gwyneth paltrow does have some sort of je ne sais quoi quality to her performance as well like yes the accent is not uh, the greatest in the world but it it is just there's just something so quaint and lovely about it about it and I love that whole thought process of like what if you'd made the train or missed the train and what would actually happen and how different would would things be and I just always found the film covered that really really well and the kind of the side-by-side storyline was just always very interesting um so whenever, so whenever again, whenever it's film, but it has that like like you said, a sliding doors moment is kind of is in the the zeitgeist now for a film. I wouldn't say like a lot of people wouldn't have seen it, but that's like seeped in culture. Like you said, the the moment everyone's always said, oh, I've had my my sliding doors moment. If I had done this instead of done that, how different my life would have been. Yeah, and that's why it's like I've I've always had the mindset of if you get any sort of like opportunity or offer or things like that, it's like always try and say yes if you can because otherwise I'm the type of person who would look back on it in years to come and be like 
what if I had have done that? Like, what if? So this film, just like, again, people are always just like, oh my God, are you watching Sliding Doors? Now, nine times out of 10, people will be like, oh my God, I love this film. Um, But like, I never hear anybody talking about it. So when I saw it, like when um the, the shop that you're, podcast is you know very similarly named um when they were closing i actually got the dvd because i was only ever watching it on the telly whenever it was on and i'd always be like if it's 12 midnight and i have to be up for work or school or whatever it was in the morning if it was midnight I'd be, and i saw it was on i'd be like nope i am staying up to watch this because god only knows when it's going to be back on again <laughs> and then i got the dvd so i was like well now i can watch it whenever i want but still anytime i clock that it's on on the telly i'm like yes we are watching this and you have no say about it I just love that, like, it's a love triangle, or sorry, a love quadrangle, even between Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> yeah. Gene Triplehorn, two of the most, like, beautiful women on earth, and the two lads they're fighting over is John Hannah and John Lynch. And you're like, eh. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit of wish for filming gone in there. It is, like, oh, it, it, it but it's iconic. It's so, was, it was the 90s, wasn't it? It wasn't even, like, the 80s or anything like that. It was just, it's so 90s. I just love it. Even down to like the, the haircut in the middle of it. Like, you know, that was very friends, very 90s. I was like, oh, you're going to oh. reinvent myself with a haircut. And like, when you look back on that haircut, I'm pretty sure like thousands of women went and got that. And thousands of men, judging by Brad Pitt's haircut afterwards. Because um, they were dating at the time as well, I think. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, because then they were walking up like red carpets with matching haircuts. That was, I always remember uh, those pictures coming in. Um, I just like yeah, about like, that Brad Pitt's working on a set with like Angelina Jolie, like leaving his wife at the door, Jennifer Anderson's girlfriend, you know, for his co star. And then he's like, Quinn Paltrow goes off, like, wait, who are you working with? Who's your co star? And then shows a picture of John Hanna and Tony and says, enjoy your day at work, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no, no worries there. It's all good in the hood. Um, but yeah, like that hairstyle. Looking back at it now, it's just like, oh, what were you thinking? It's such. It's almost like the origin of the Karen haircut. Yes, actually, that's a great show, and I think we're we're horror as well. She is just the, the antithesis of a Karen, like you know, trying to push her, you know, fifteen hundred quid, you know, health water or whatever it is, or bath water. She's trying to sell goop or gloop or whatever nonsense she's got goop yeah and then there was the jade eggs um that whole thing and the candles yeah the most humane she was when she was with chris martin he was talking about when she was up for iron man and he had the iron man comics and she's walking around reading them and he's like following her behind with the, the plastic case and going no no don't don't don't, don't look your fingers where you turn the page <laughs> that is so relatable <laughs> So we'll move on to the, the next film on my list here. And Go I'm just gonna get, I'm, I'm gonna lead you in here and see if you can tell me what film this is, okay? It's got a blonde muscle man sent uh -huh. to Earth from another dimension. There's a mystical weapon, he's got warrior sidekicks, and he falls for a human woman. Okay, now that could be probably sixteen. No, hang on, I've thought of another 17 different types of films. <laughs> um, but knowing you. I'm going to guess Masters of the Universe. That is correct. Boom! I just know you too well. You and also did. you texted to me earlier. That's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's exactly the same as Thor. Like Thor, which you know, helped launch this, you know, multi-billion dollar cinematic universe. And we had the exact same film 20 years earlier. And it's absolutely trashed and called, you know, one of the worst films of all time. Like, Have you seen it? No. Do you know what I haven't? I will openly admit that I have not seen it. But it always gives me that kind of like flash vibes, <laughs> you know, like not um, Flash not Gordon. Like, yeah, like Flash Gordon. Yeah. 
it's not far off, but it is absolute B movie brilliance. It's just you know Courtney Cox is in it as well. Speaking of Friends, I think it's, it's a horror force film. And if you hear like any of the behind been, yeah. the scenes stories about it, it's absolutely hilarious as well. They ran out of money before the shoot and the end of the film. And part of the contract as well, there was like a, a Masters of the Universe contest where, you know, the winner got promised a part in the film. And if that wasn't fulfilled, they had to pay like five million quid. So they had to reshoot <gasps> the ending of the film. So this little kid who's in like a, basically a frog suit, hands Skeletor, his scepter, otherwise they would have lost five million, and, you know, which is you know, nearly double the budget of the film. Oh but, my God. Frank Langella is playing Skeletor in this and he is just it's like he's read every Shakespeare before he's done it he apparently just read the script went no I'm not saying any of that and just starts throwing out lines from you know Macbeth and Othello and he's like sitting there with like He-Man is chained up on these you know very early CGI you know whips and chains telling him tell me about the loneliness of good He-Man is it comparable to the loneliness of evil and you're like you're in a canon you know straight to video basically action film and he's just throwing these absolute bombs out I I, I don't think it's like so bad I think this is a genuinely good film I think this is better than Thor it's the Thor story done better Are you sure about that sense? We did. We should have had a, forget the MCU, we should have had an MOU universe, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> an MOUU? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, Moo Moo. Moo Moo. But this is kind of off the back of um, Dolph Lundgren, obviously, was cast as He Man off the back. He was Ivan Drago and Rocky. I think this was, well, he was in um, one of the, the Bond films. Uh, as an extra but this was like his first one and there's a story where uh, Sylvester Stallone came to the set to you know he was friends with the, the guy from Canon that was making it because he'd done a few uh, films through them and looks around and sees Dolph Lundgren and he's like oh no he's like well I guess you didn't give him lines did you <laughs> and when you hear Dolph Lundgren talk in the swing I go oh yeah maybe maybe Stallone had a point there just a little bit but when you do think of He-Man actually Dolph Lundgren does have the right look for it so you can't really be too mad at them and like what's what what was the way, the most complicated thing that he had to say in masters of the universe he has way too many speeches but you know all he needs to say is i have the power that's it but he's you know he's sitting there with a little furry alien and you know courtney cox from friends talking about chicken and how it works on his planet it's yeah it's i'm not pitching it very well here but it's one of them where you'll watch and go oh, actually it wasn't as bad as i thought it was well, I yeah, hope. but if anyway. you're recommending it, then, you know, chances <laughs> are I'm going to hate it. That is also very fair. <laughs> like, but... when it comes to us, it's very rare that we agree on anything. We tend to have very different uh, likes and dislikes when it comes to, to movies, so. Okay, then we will move on to something that we do agree on. Now, you have picked one film here. I have picked this guy's entire career. <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> well, The, the, the film... man in question... The man in Go question ahead. is Nicolas Cage. And I wonder, can people pick what film I've picked as my guilty pleasure? Because I don't think many people have actually seen the film, but I'd say they know the memes. I'd say they know the memes, and I'd say they know, most people kind of know the story of what he'd done in that role. <laughs> so, just to put you all out of your misery, the film is Vampire's Kiss. For me, this, no, actually, we a group of friends and myself we 
would often watch this at Halloween. So as much as I would call it a guilty pleasure, I, I do not shy away from telling people about it. So, But it's also not a comfort film. It's one where I tell people and they go, oh my God, like you actually watch that willingly? I'm like, yes, yes I do. Because it's just so funny. And I do think it's important to, you know, find out the story behind the meme. And I had seen the memes and now I'm like, okay, well now I understand more about it. And it just makes them even funnier. Um, so again for those of you who haven't seen it vampire's kiss is nicholas cage playing this character whose name i don't remember and also don't care <laughs> because it's just him um who thinks that he's been turned into a vampire and just starts acting absolutely bonkers and that's all you need to know you've described it brilliantly there because it's one of them that again you've seen i've seen the box in video shops for years i've kind of seen clips of seeing the memes i've heard the story of him meeting a like, real cockroach yeah. during a scene oh that's so disgusting as well sorry <laughs> he stopped bathing he kind of really went you know full nick cage and then when i was watching this isn't what i thought this was about like he he, he it isn't like he becomes a sexy vampire and does all, he doesn't know or he, does, he just thinks he's become a vampire it's it's cage going full cage like this is just and again he's someone who, who kind of started here and then won an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas, which was absolutely incredible. And then you think, okay, we're going to have this like, you know, next act really serious. You know, he's leaving all this behind. And then the next thing he does is the rock Con Aaron face off. Mm -hmm. Which to be fair, there's probably his three best films, but to go from like, <laughs> like just think of anyone who's won like best Oscar, fun. like just getting absolutely shredded. Like he's this kind of, you know, a manciate waif who's drinking himself to death and leaving Las Vegas and then all of a sudden you know he's chasing James Bond through you know the streets of San Francisco and breaking into Alcatraz and swapping faces with John Travolta <laughs> it's probably a case of he was like I've got my Oscar now I've justified my my existence in the industry so now I can go and have some fun and he went and had some fun and then he did Vampire's Kiss <laughs> like it got to the point where people actually thought that this film was written because Nick Cage thought that he was a vampire. That's like those were some of the rumors that were going around at the time. And it it just does not make any sense and I love it. I love it so much. There is like again, it it's a bit like the sliding doors effect. If I saw that it was on the telly, I would be there. If like there was a screening of it in a cinema, I would be so there. I might be a little bit hammered by when I arrive because <laughs> yeah, it it does help <laughs> with the watching. Um, but yeah, like it's it is just a classic and because it's had such a cultural impact on you know uh, pop culture, shall we call it now, um it, it's just so worth a watch. I couldn't recommend it more. I like the fact that if you Google Vampire Kiss, the first thing that comes up on Google is, did you mean, what was the point of Vampire's Kiss? <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. So we're going to go on now to one a film on my list, which um, I, I wouldn't imagine would make many of, uh, of your favorite films, Olivia. And that's Under Siege. Nah. <laughs> to be honest, it could be any Steven Seagal film for me. I, I grew up in the kind of the early nineties, but it was like, you know, Van Damme, the, you know, the aforementioned Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Norris, Brandon Lee, uh, to a certain extent as well. But Seagal was my guy for me. He was just a lunacy, like just ponytailed, violent brilliance. He's just waving his arms in the air and people are flying through glass. He had some absolutely horrendous one-liners, which were brilliant, but 
just in school, this was it. You'd watch Under Siege, you'd watch Man for Death or any of them. And then we'd all go in and just start like kicking the absolute Christ out of each other. And <laughs> Under Siege is the one you'd kind of get away with as well, because it's it was pretty much it was Die Hard on a boat. And it's got Tommy Lee Jones just before Tommy Lee Jones took off. Gary Busey, who's in there trying to do, you know, outdo everyone in the, the over-the-top stakes, as Gary Busey has wanted to do. You know, there's a scene in the film where Gary Busey is literally dancing around dressed as a woman and then saying, like, you know, do I look like I need a psychological evaluation? And Busey is just like, he's a lunatic at the best of times. If you've heard any of the stories kind of behind the scenes on him. Well, was, this, so much... was this pre or post um, brain injury? This was pre and he was already mad. <laughs> so that that oh, just my. kind of exacerbated things. One of the stories I love about him, he was on the set of uh, Entourage, uh, the, the show. He done a couple of cameos in it. But all the guys hated him because he just, he wouldn't read the script. He wouldn't know what to do. And he grabbed one of the guys, Kevin Connolly, who plays, he's actually in the notebook as well, and held him down and tickled him until he pissed himself. And then for the rest of his life would call him Tickle P. So Kevin Connolly was like at the premiere for the Entourage film and Gary Busey just comes flying down, starts shaking him in front of like, uh, was it uh, TMZ or Vanity Fair were there, or Hollywood Reporter just going like, Tickle P, Tickle P is great in the movie. And you can just see Kevin Connolly going, I can't believe this man is a part of my life now. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh dear! And I can't mention Under Siege without mentioning that scene. If you you have you seen Under Siege? No, I haven't. It it, it just (laughs) (laughs) those noises are pretty much all you need to know about how I feel about the film. It's just it's never interested me. Um, like I know it's probably like something that I should see for you know, cultural references and, you know, trying to understand you a little bit more. But again, it's just with Steven Seagal, I, I, there was just nothing. It's not like, so like Jean-Claude Van Damme, at least he, he, you get the sense that he's also kind of taking the mick out of what he's doing as well. Whereas you just don't get that with Steven Seagal. He's like so serious. Um, So yeah, no, I just could never, there was just never anything that appealed to me about any of his films. So I never watched them. If you don't watch any of films, you should watch. He had a show on TV called Lawman, where it was a reality TV show where it's like Steven Seagal is actually in real life, um, like a, a county sheriff. But it was, it's, it's kind of like an honorary thing, you know, to have like, oh yeah, Steven Seagal is like, you know, one of the, the sheriffs in our town. But he actually started working there and going out on calls and they had like a, a reality show based around this. And it's just, it is the best car crash television you've ever seen. Because there is the, the, something like ringing a bell in my head about that. I do vaguely recall something about it. Because you have the actual, like, the, the the proper sheriff who's just like, I can't believe this cop shite's walking around with us. But then you've got the rookie guy who's like, oh my god, it's amazing, Steven Seagal is coming around. He's like, showing him how to shoot and do, like, Aikido moves. But just every episode of the show is like, you know, he shows up and like, most people are like, there was this one where it's like, uh, this black family are having a, a domestic and he shows up and they're like, is that Steven Seagal? And then he starts talking like, what's the nicest way to say? He starts talking very urban to the guy. <laughs> and he's oh, like, no. Using the slang, using the accent. And you're just like, oh, my God, stop. And then he would meet like, you know, there's uh, like an Indian family and he meets them. And all of a sudden he starts talking and like, you know, all these kind of the, the mysticisms with them. And you're like, oh, sweet Jesus. No. He actually, in one scene, crashes a tank through somebody's house who's um, supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be a drug lab. First of all, if it's a drug lab, don't crash a tank through the wall. Second of all, the wrong house. Oh, no. 
just what, what what it's on YouTube. Just watch clips, Steven Seagal, Law Man, and that that'll be your afternoon done. I'm literally making a note of it now. So we'll we'll move on from uh, from all things. <laughs> yeah, it's a, actually, actually I, I, after I, after a short pause, <laughs> we're both just like, okay, now we need to move on. <laughs> and I know everyone who's out on their stage, you know the the birthday cake scene. Yes, I know, and yes, I did have a VHS where the tracking on that scene would just go absolutely ballistic so yeah i'll move on olivia hasn't seen it so i think i might have got away with that one <laughs> just about just about <laughs> but i think like the last two films on our list they're kind of oddly related in a way wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? i would 100 percent agree with that yeah i know look at us being you know kind of in agreement on something that's i'm very impressed with us We'll go with your one first and then we'll go with the joint one because i, I want to end on a high because this one i think <laughs> is just what's the word shite <laughs> I don't think this is a guilty pleasure. I don't think this is ah oh, so bad. It's good. I just think this is dull shite. Really, I yeah. love it. You put the lime in the coconut, mix <laughs> it all up. It's practical magic, and it's very on theme considering we are like edging closer towards Halloween as well. And again, I don't know what it is about this film, but anytime it's on the telly or like that, I'm just like, yep, we are sitting down and watching this. Um. It just, I don't know, again, again, just don't know what it is. Sandra Bullock, brilliant. Nicole, Ki- really early Nicole Kidman acting as kind of like a sex kitten. Like, she was absolutely brilliant in it. And then you have, oh, what was your man's name from Eeyore? Goran Visevich. That one, yeah. He's um kind of the bad guy in it. And then... I just remember him because anytime Batman or Bond was up, it was always like, oh, yes, it's down to the last three and it's him. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's never going to happen. Um, but yeah, it's about these two like sister witches who live in, say, oh, do they live in Salem? I don't know. They live in a small town in New England, which I always assumed was Salem. But now that I'm actually saying it out loud, I'm not even sure if it is. Um, but they've always been like shunned from society because everybody knows that their family are witches. And um, one stays in the town starts a family and the other one goes off um adventuring around the world and um there's a curse on the women that when they find love if a man gives them their heart he dies and when this happens to Sandra Bullock's character um then the the sister kind of comes back and all hell then breaks loose because you know the sister has gotten herself into a spot of bother and she needs Sandra Bullock's help to get out of it and yeah it is gas crack it is not. And again, the, ca- the cast are fantastic. And Aiden Quinn is in it as well. And Aiden Quinn is one of those Aiden actors. Quinn. I couldn't remember his name either. Huge. Aiden Quinn for me should have been like, like have a Philip Seymour Hoffman like career. I thought yeah. I think he is absolutely brilliant. I think he's made some absolutely terrible, terrible choices. And Isn't again, he in The Quick and the Dead as well? Oh, The Quick and the Dead is also a guilty pleasure. Sorry for jumping That's in. a great one as well. Again, like a, a Sam Raimi Western isn't something that I would have uh, ever had in. But yeah, yeah, like he, like this, I think he was in that as well. But yeah, he, I liked him in this. I thought it was, it was like, well, definitely one of his more gentler roles than he's done elsewhere. Because he was in the Legends of the Fall a couple of years before this, and I thought like it was him, Brad Pitt, and Anthony Hopkins, and I was like, oh, he's going to be absolutely huge now. And then was it this year I saw him doing was it Daughter of the Bride or something like that? And I was just, oh yeah, you 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 could have been something once upon a time. He used to go out with Madonna, didn't he? Did he? Or am I thinking of that wrong? Are you thinking of Sean Penn? Possibly. Because <laughs> I know they were married. 
But maybe he dated Madonna. I don't. I don't remember. It might anyway, have been before the, my time, Andy. The most memorable thing about that film is me incorrectly thinking he went out with Madonna. <laughs> we'll move no, on the, to uh, some witchy the... poo films now that isn't as bad as that. We're just it's still, there's nothing to talk about. Again, it just look like the cast: like Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, you've Stockard Channing, Rizzo from Greece, Hayden Quinn, Dan Weist is in the film as well, and it's just. Nah, it's one of them ones I watch every couple of years and go, it can't be as bad as I remember. And it, it's not even bad, it's just, nah. it's, it's something you'll watch 30, 40 minutes of and go, I couldn't be arsed watching the rest of this. No, I will always watch it straight through. Even if the, if it's already like an hour in, I'll still sit down and be like, no, I'm finishing this. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to move on now to something that you won't turn off because it is in fact the most played film in Irish television history. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so, I would say. And I, I would agree with you on that. But I also have to argue, is it really a guilty pleasure? I always thought it wasn't, but it wasn't until the sequel came out last year. And when everyone was like, there was kind of like a revision. You know, the original was terrible. Why are we making a sequel to this? Like, oh, wait, well, I always just assumed this was like a classic that everybody loved. And it wasn't until Who? the sequel came out. Who are you talking to? I, I have never encountered anyone that has said that they didn't like this first actually we haven't even said the name of the film yet it's hocus pocus anyone <laughs> anyone who knows me knows it was either going to be this or mean girls <laughs> <laughs> see now you saying that mean girls is your guilty pleasure that would have i would have understood <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> but now like everybody loves hocus pocus they do every like, even, review even i if... read of it said you know they were slating the second one and they went the great thing about this is now we can pretend that we can stop pretending that the first film wasn't good or sorry the first one was good well, no, like, I think that's just pretentious people pretending that they are cool and trendy. Oh, no, well, Chris didn't like the second one, but I think he did like the first one. Um, But I think that's actually probably the biggest argument the three of us have ever gotten into was you and me just literally launching ourselves at Chris. Be like, how dare you badmouth this it one? It was literally like liked... one would pull the other person off the other person to have another go at him because he is bang wrong. <laughs> but again, like... You and I actually quite liked the second one, so I would have actually probably said saying that Hocus Pocus 2 was a guilty pleasure was probably more appropriate than <laughs> Hocus Pocus 1. I, I Again, it's just one of those ones where you have you grow up and you think, oh yeah, no, everybody loves this film, and you're like, oh wait, no, it's not. I just think this is brilliant. The three of them have never been better. I hate Sarah Jessica Parker, but in this film, I, I think she's brilliant and she is absolutely gorgeous in it as well. I've never found her attractive unless she was in this. And just the, the the whimsy in this. I love the whole thing where they think the the guy dressed as the devil is the real thing. <laughs> or when they're um checking the road to see if it's solid. Um and getting on the bus to be like, Oh, like where are you ladies off to? It's like we go in search of children. It's like, Oh, it might take me a few goes, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> You say that there is some weirdly inappropriate stuff. Like the, the Zachary Beeks is what well. he was like twenty or something when he was uh, turned into a Harry, cat. Can, and then, can, then can he... you say his name again for me, please? Zachary Beeks. Oh, you are so wrong. <laughs> Thackeray Binks. Thackeray Binks. That's that's what I said. Th- I Thackeray Binks. B i n k x. Serious speech impediment that I'm very sensitive about. No, you do not. Don't you be trying to get sympathy there. That's going to be the clip I put on now. <laughs> Editor of Geek Ireland. <laughs> the little yeah. speech impaired moron. Stop Stop trying to get me cancelled, <laughs> yo. 
but yeah like he was well, he was like 20 or something when he was turned into a cat and then he at the end he's back human and then kisses an eight-year-old which is oh, a bit no, i think he's only 14 15 still shouldn't be kissing an eight-year-old true but yeah it's plus yeah. he's been alive for like what, a couple of hundred years, so it's technically a four hundred year old man and a nature old girl, which is well, not if, really if you remember from the song, you'd know exactly how old he is. Mm-hmm. Been three hundred years, years right down to the day. <laughs> I just started singing the wrong song, but somehow got the name. <laughs> and yet you call yourself a fan of this film. How dare you? You've put me on the spot here. I think it was your, you know, crushing insults about my very well known speech impediment. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go through, we'll do a, a quick lightning round. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on today that you'd say, oh yeah, guilty pleasure one? Oh, okay, we we very barely touched on it there, but The Quick and the Dead. Now that I remember that film, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's another one that I don't admit to many people that I like. But again, it was Sharon Stone's first time directing and it had her in it as the lead. Russell Crowe's Sam debut. Sam directed that year, Lunatic. I thought Sharon Stone directed it. Did she write no. it or produce no. it? She was involved heavily in some way, and I always assumed it was directing. No, she was Sam Raimi, Evil Dead directed that, and obviously Spider Man as well. Yeah, she's in it. Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, DiCaprio. Gene Hackman, oh, DiCaprio is one of his early roles as well. And I, but I, I think it was like Russell Crowe's first Hollywood film, which I yeah. think is wild. But yeah, it is a terrible movie about a female gunslinger who has come to town to avenge her father and enters in a quick draw uh, duel contest that they have on in the town and with the hopes that she gets to kill the, the, the head honcho who is just, you know, terrorizing everybody. And yeah. That's, I think, a good summary of the film. I'm going to watch that tonight. I haven't seen that in years. I love uh, that so film. Neither have I. And it, but again, it is one that I don't think anybody could say that they are proud to admit that they love it so much, but it, it's definitely one that's on the list. I'll finish up my one. Um, again, something, if somebody walked in, I'd be kind of like, eh, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I know all the songs from as well. The Bodyguard. <gasps> You're a Bodyguard fan? Oh, I did not know this. I know that film line for line. I absolutely adore that film. You I should think see it's my Kevin face Costner's right best. Ah, oh, it is just like it is absolutely perfect, and it's it's one of those. Um, there's a friend of mine who also he is obsessed with it as well, and I just remember getting a phone call off on the last before. I was like, oh, wait, well, are watching the phone. I will call around. I was like, we can't have this on when he comes around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would rather we were caught watching porn together than the bodyguards. Like, we need to stick on something else because he walks in and we're halfway through the bodyguard. Now this this is the kind of thing where you get nicknames for life. Definitely. Have you gone to see the the stage show? Because of course it's on in Dublin at the moment. I haven't. I'm hearing not great things about it. I also wouldn't trust myself not to start singing the songs or does any anything different from the film. I go, no, Frank Farmer wouldn't say that. <laughs> see, now all I want to do is get you drunk, bring you to karaoke and put you up on stage to sing. That has happened. Um, <laughs> I yeah. There Please is tell of... me there's video. I was just about to say, thankfully, this was pre kind of smartphone. Um, I gave a very, very sexually confusing performance of Queen of the Night in a bar in Portugal before, featuring a lot more high kicks than you'll ever see in a Whitney Houston show. 
I am crying with laughter right now. <laughs> yeah, I also start throwing knives like Frank Farmer does in the film, even though that's not, that, nothing to do with the scene, nothing to do with the song. It was just, oh, this is in the bodyguard. He throws the knives and I start gesturing like I was throwing knives. And oh, and on that bombshell, that will be edited out. <laughs> oh, no, please don't edit that out. I need everybody to know this information as well, because I can't be the only one to have heard that. Yeah, so That's if you're amazing. in the Cusick stand in Portugal about 20 years ago, you would have been treated to that. <laughs> amazing. I really hope someone texts in and or comments on this and or they're just like, yes, I was there and I have video and then I want to <laughs> send it to me so I can then put up on Geek Garland and I will I'll be like, oh, look, this is gas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a poster me on the wall somewhere going, do, do not let do this not man hear a microphone. <laughs> do not let this man back into the park. <laughs> On that, we're going to finish up before I tell any more stupid stories. <laughs> Olivia, thank you. Keep on.